Would you please pray with me as we turn to the Word of God? Father, again, we come before you humbly. We admit, God, I admit that I am not adequate for this incredibly powerful word that you've given us. I pray that your spirit would speak it to us today. God, I pray that far more just than that we would hear it, but that this word would live in us and our lives would be made like what we hear today. God, please help us all to hear your word and to put it into practice. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have been in the book of Luke. Pastor Lyle has been going through the gospel of Luke. And then, as I've said a few times, I am the interruption to his sermon series. And so I've been looking at Colossians and just taking a few pieces. Well, not really pieces. um, Big picture things from the book of Colossians. Uh, So we've done uh, two sermons before this on Colossians, and this will be the last one after today. Uh, We'll have Pastor Lyle come back, we'll be looking at Luke again for three weeks, and then it'll be Easter, and we'll start a new sermon series after Easter. Last week, we looked at Colossians chapter 2, and I actually took you through the whole book of Colossians at one point, and we looked at what are the things that Paul thinks are really important. What are the things that he thinks are really important to tell this church in Colossae, the Christians who are there, he has one shot to tell them what's really important about life and following Jesus. And I said three things last week. So here's your pop quiz. What were they? What's that? Prayer. One was prayer. He talks about prayer over and over and over again, every single chapter, except chapter three, which we'll be looking at today. Prayer. What else? Becoming like Jesus, which is today's topic. And third one? The Bible, yeah, the Word of God or the truth, right? He repeatedly tells us what's true about life, what's true about Jesus. He wants to change your worldview, break the lies that Satan and the world have given to you and show you what's true about life. So prayer, the Word of God, and becoming like Christ. And that is almost entirely what the book of Colossians is about. Apart from that, there's a couple of sentences on evangelism, and that's it. These are the things that are really important to Paul. So today, we are in Colossians chapter 3. And Colossians 3 is one of his great sections of teaching on how to become like Christ. How to become like Jesus in your inner being. I said last time that he doesn't know the Colossians. He's never met them. And so he can't do what he does in many of his other letters, which is to say, all the things you saw me do when I was with you, all the things that I practice, you need to practice that too. He can't say that to the Colossians because they've never lived with him. And so he has to be a little bit more explicit and explain what they need to do to follow Christ and become like him. And so that's where we're at in Colossians chapter 3. I want to say before we get into the chapter that Colossians 3 is a teaching that is directed to Christians. 
It is something that is directed to Christians, to those who have given their lives to Christ and are disciples of Jesus. People who have reorganized their whole lives so that they will be constantly learning how to become, how to live like Jesus did. If that's not you today, if you have not yet done that, given your life to Christ, entered into this new life with him, if you have not become his student in life, then this chapter actually doesn't have anything to say to you. So let me remind you before we go there of what the truth is. The truth is that you are an eternal spiritual being. There is a God, he created everything, and he created you. But you have been cut off from him. You've been cut off from him by following things other than him, by what the Bible calls sin. But Jesus died on the cross. He died on the cross, and now forgiveness for sin is available to you, and you can enter into a relationship with God and become what you were always made to be, a person deeply united with God, a person who on the inside looks like Jesus in many, many ways. You can enter this life right now if you never have. God is closer than your own, the clothes on your body. He's closer than your skin. He's right there with you. If you cry out to him, he will respond to you. And he will give you power to enter this life. So the rest of the sermon is addressed to those who have already entered it. And it is about how we continue how we actually grow to become what God made us to be. Colossians chapter 3. So please do open your Bible. We will be following the text fairly closely. I also want to say, as we begin to look at this, I want to say to you that it is possible. What Paul is describing in this chapter is actually possible. I think that some of what's here has been neglected by the church for so long that many of us have forgotten it or just simply have never even learned about the things that Paul teaches in this chapter. And so many people don't think it's possible, not really, to become like Christ. Now when I say that, I'm not talking about becoming perfect or becoming sinless. I'm not saying that that's possible in this life. But I am saying that it is possible to become more and more like Christ and to become substantially like him. And how can we know that it's possible? Because people have done it. Paul did it. The early church did it. It is not possible without the power of God, but the power of God is here with you. Because of the cross, that power is here with you. And so it is now possible to actually become like Christ. But there are things that you have to do. You must let the peace of Christ dwell in you. You can resist it. You can resist change and not grow in your faith. Let's move into the chapter then. This chapter breaks down basically into two sections. And I'll... I'll, talk about them as two different steps or two different secrets that there are. They're very open secrets because the church has been screaming about these secrets since the beginning. 
But there are two different secrets hidden from many people today. How to become like Christ. And the first one, step one, is found in the first two verses of this chapter. So let me read through these verses for you again. Paul begins like this. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. That is, raised from the dead with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. This is the first great secret of Paul. And it is so simple, yet it is so essential. It goes like this. If you want to become like Christ, the most important thing is your heart. If your heart is set on Christ, if you actually love Christ and are growing in love for him, you will become more and more like him. It's a simple fact of human nature. Whatever we love, we become like. Whoever we love, we become like. And this is the same point. Where did Paul learn this from? He learned it from Jesus himself. And this is a point that the Bible has been making ever since the beginning of the Bible. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. Because whatever you love, you will become more like. Now, for a long time after I became a Christian, I thought that this was a kind of impossible command. I thought, here's God commanding us to love him, but do we actually have any control over the things that we love? You know, our culture and our society teach us that we don't really have control over the things that we love. That we just uh, are kind of born with certain desires, we love certain things, it's maybe almost random. And so I thought, this is a command, but maybe the only way to accomplish it is through prayer. Because God just has to come down and, and do this in our lives. And there is truth to that. You cannot love God unless you pray constantly to Him and ask Him to change you and make you love Him more. But, there are things you can and must do in order to love God. And Paul tells us the secret in the very next verse. He says you've got to set your heart on Christ, on the things that are above, on God. How do you do that? You need to think about the things that are above and think about God. Now follow me for a minute and see how profound that actually is. The things that you spend your time thinking about are, in general, the things that you will come to love more and more. This, again, is a simple fact of human nature. And this is why Paul repeats that teaching over and over again in his letters, in Philippians, in Romans. Think about God. Set your mind on God. Let your mind be transformed. Think about Him all the time, and you will come to love Him. If you carefully analyze your own life, you're going to see that this is actually true. If you spend a significant amount of your time, most of your time, thinking about something, that thing will be what you start to love. If there's something that you never think about, you won't have any feelings toward it at all, or very little. 
Uh, how many of you have had the experience of you heard a song on the radio, and when you first heard it, you didn't like it? But then, after you heard it a few times, the song started to get inside of you in some way. It had filled up your mind, and you started to enjoy the song. And then you get to the point where you can't stop singing it. How many of you have had that experience? This, can happen, this happens with all kinds of things in our lives. Or think about a book. How many times have you sat down to read a novel, and the first few chapters you thought, ah, I don't know if I really like this book. But then as your mind is applied to that book for a longer period of time, it starts to grip you. And then you can't put it down. And you read it constantly until you get to the end, and then you're sad because they don't, there's the book's over, and you wish that they would write a series about it. How many of you have had that experience? This is human nature. Whatever you spend your time thinking about, that will be the things that you love. And so Paul is here saying that you must, it is essential to the Christian life. It is not just a, oh, if you're a really spiritual person, or you're better than other Christians or something, or this is something you could do if you want in the Christian life. The Christian life is about loving God, and in order to love God, you must think about him constantly. So I ask you, think about your own life. Is God in your thoughts regularly? Is he something that you think about every day, throughout the day? Is he the number one thing in your thoughts? If he's not, he will not be the number one thing in your heart. This is the first great secret. Step number one to how to become like Christ. You must love him. You must think about him. Next, I'd like to move on to the second great secret. And Paul spends more time dealing on this. This comes in verses 5 through 17, primarily. Paul spends a lot more time dealing uh, dealing with this. And I want to say that this secret or this step uh, could be called reforming your flesh. Reforming your flesh. And this is one that the church has lost, especially the church in North America, has lost to a very significant degree. We really don't do this very much at all. And so, uh, as we go through this, it may sound like you are hearing a new teaching or something you haven't heard before. I assure you that this is not new. It is what Paul is teaching. It is what the church has always taught. But it is something that is at a very low level right now in the church in North America. And it is an essential part of the Christian life. Reforming the flesh. I want to start out with an illustration so we can kind of get our minds into it. And this illustration I'll use is from exercise. I love exercise illustrations. Paul uses these all the time in his letters. So I'll ask you, how many of you exercise regularly? By regularly, I mean at least three times a week, most weeks. Go ahead and raise your hand. All right, very good. That's great. Exercise. Now, so there's maybe about a third, half of you. Now, how many of you 
wish that or think it's a good idea that you would exercise three times a week? Five times, yeah, or even more. Oh, come on, everybody should have their hand raised, right? Give me a break. There, at this point, there cannot be anyone in the world, really, who doesn't agree that it is really, really good for every human being to exercise regularly. It does all kinds of great things for you. Makes you live longer, gives you more energy, uh, makes you feel better, puts you in better shape. All these great things that it does for you. Yet most of us don't do it. Isn't that a strange situation? That there's something that all human beings, and to some degree, want to do, but most human beings don't do. Think about that contrast for a minute. Imagine, uh, in your mind, someone who is really out of shape and overweight. And then imagine someone in your mind who uh, exercises all the time and is in great shape. Now, uh, is Bill Connard here this morning? (laughs) He's not. Well, Mr. Connard, other than 30 pounds, what is the difference between those two people? What is the difference between those two people? Someone who doesn't exercise, uh, who's uh, overweight, uh, who's not healthy, and someone who exercises all the time. And the the thing that I want to point out is that the difference is not their desire to exercise. In fact, the person who is overweight in many cases desires to exercise and be in shape far more than the person who already does it. Because the person who already does it is already in shape. They enjoy it, no doubt, but the person who is out of shape wants it more. What then is the difference? The primary difference is their habits. The primary difference is the habits that they have built into their mind and their body. The person who exercises regularly does it without really thinking about it, without having to overcome great resistance in order to do it. They just do it all the time. It's their habit of life. And the person who doesn't, doesn't because... They have other habits that bind them and keep them from exercising. You can see how these habits might be formed. Uh, Imagine again a bag of Doritos. What's your favorite kind of Doritos? Come on, first person to shout it out. The normal kind? Nacho cheese? Yes, nacho cheese. The last church that I I preached this at said sweet chili heat, which I thought was a great... Uh, a great one. I don't know if you even know sweet chili heat Doritos. But imagine a bag of nacho cheese Doritos, all right? So, let's say you had never eaten Doritos before. You're in your kitchen. Someone's bought a, a bag of Doritos. There they are. You feel in your flesh, in your body, and part of your mind, a strong desire to eat some of those Doritos. I just want to try them out. So you give in to that desire. You say, yes, I want to eat them. And you eat a whole bunch of them. Maybe you eat the whole bag. It started out there was a desire in your flesh for the Doritos. Now, as you eat all of those Doritos, what have you just done? You have strengthened the desire of your flesh to eat those Doritos. The next time you see those Doritos, it will be more difficult to resist them than it was the first time. 
If you build this into your life over and over again, it will become an ingrained habit of your body, and you will be unable to stop yourself. Maybe even no matter how much you want to. There are people who it's life-threatening for them to eat a bag of Doritos, and yet still they do it. Because the ingrained tendency of their flesh is to eat those, and it overcomes their will. This is essential teaching because it's true not just of Doritos and exercise, but it's also true of sin and of good works. And that is where Paul goes in the rest of this chapter. Listen to these first verses. Listen to verse 5. Verse 5 will be our key verse here. It is an astonishing verse. Put to death, therefore, Paul says, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. I want to tell you, I don't usually go to the Greek, but I want to tell you very literally what this verse says. Because when you read this verse in a very literal translation or in the Greek, if, you're not, if you don't understand already sort of Paul's whole theory of how human beings work, you will at first not understand what he's talking about and maybe even think this verse doesn't make any sense. What it says quite literally in Greek is this. Put to death or mortify your members. That is, the parts of your body. The parts of your body that are upon the earth. What? The parts of your body that are upon the earth? Is he talking about my feet? Put to death the parts of your body that are upon the earth. And then he lists which parts of your body he's talking about. And the first one he lists is sexual immorality. Paul is saying that sexual immorality can become a part of your flesh, a part of your body. The next one he lists is impurity then lust, then evil desires and greed. Later in the chapter, he lists anger, rage, malice, so wanting to harm other people or wanting harm to come to them, slander, and filthy language from your lips. He says that these things inhabit human beings as parts of their body. And the whole teaching in the chapter is that we must be active along with the Spirit of God, in putting those things to death and then replacing them with parts of our body, things that inhabit our body that are good and strong for God. Things like, as he goes on later in the chapter in verse 12 to describe, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, and love those things also can become parts of your body, members of your flesh. And when they are, your life will be so much easier. You will actually be able to follow Jesus and do the things that he says. He lists as one of the things that we need to kill, he lists filthy language from our lips. I've had this experience a number of times where I've been hanging out with one of the youth, 
This hasn't happened too many times, but a number of times. I've been hanging out with one of the youth, and then all of a sudden, a swear word pops out of their mouth in front of their pastor. And they're terrified. They're mortified. Did they, in that moment, intend, did they choose to swear in front of me? Of course not. They would never choose to do that. What's happened instead? At school, with their other friends, they have trained themselves to swear. And as that has become a tendency of their flesh, a habit, if you will, they are now unable to stop it just popping out of their mouths, even when they're in church or in front of their pastor. It's become a part of their flesh. Paul says that we need to kill off these things that are evil and have become part of us and replace them with things that are good and strong for God. That's what all of his language, again, in, uh, in verse 10 and through verse 12 is about. Putting on the new self or the new man. A new kind of flesh you can put on in Christ that is strong for God. I want to say that this is what the early Christians actually did. And this is why they were able to radically transform the world. Many people became Christians in the early days of the church because they saw how the early Christians acted in very difficult situations. So they saw things like people being persecuted, people having their houses burned down, people having their possessions stolen, people even being killed because they were Christians, and they saw them react almost immediately in love, in forgiveness, and even rejoicing over the things that were happening to them. How does that happen? Is it something that they chose to do in the moment? Maybe to some degree. But how do you act when even small things that are bad happen to you? Probably many of you, if you stub your toe or drop something on your foot, immediately react with anger. Probably many of you, if something bad happens in your life, you immediately react with worry or fear or anxiety or frustration and anger. You don't choose to react in those ways. They are things that you have been trained in. Could you, if you were placed into the situation of those early Christians, could you react immediately with love, forgiveness, joy, if someone came and stole all your stuff and burned your house down? The only kind of person who can do that is the kind of person who has taken the teachings of Jesus into their own flesh. Think again about communion. What does it mean? Jesus Christ himself, his flesh, becomes my flesh. The tendencies and nature that was in him becomes the tendency and nature that is in me. This is how the church overcame the world. This is why they looked so incredibly different than everyone else around them. The world was astonished by them. They had never seen anyone like this. And they did it simply by doing the things that Jesus did, 
that Paul did, that all of the apostles taught. Things that we have largely forgotten. Things like fasting, praying for long periods of time, deep meditation and internalization of Scripture, spending time alone in the wilderness or just alone with God. Think about how often we see that in the New Testament. All the greatest Christians go out into the desert, spend a month, a month and a half just with God. Worship. What we talked about earlier, constantly putting God before our minds by singing songs of praise to Him. This is what Paul is advising people to actually do in their lives. The results of this are beyond anything we can imagine before we have experienced them. I want to finish just with a vision of our master, our great teacher, Jesus. You remember the story, and we're going to go over it again when we come to Good Friday. Jesus was betrayed by one of his closest friends. How would you feel if you were betrayed by one of your closest friends? One of your closest friends turns you in to people who want to arrest you and kill you. What would be your immediate reaction? Jesus is betrayed by one of his closest friends. He's then taken by evil people. He's, he's accused of things that he didn't do. They lie about him. What's your reaction when people lie and say all kinds of slanderous things against you? How do you react? They lied about him all night. Then they began to beat him. What's your reaction when people harm you physically? They beat him all night. The next morning, they condemned him to death. And they made him carry a really heavy beam of wood up a mountain or a hill. He was so exhausted that he couldn't carry it. He fell on his way up the hill and someone had to come and help him. And then they take him up on top of the hill and they lay him down and they begin to nail his hands into the cross. Now, think about yourself when you are really, really exhausted. When you're tired and you've had a really hard day. How do you act? What comes out of you in those moments? Is it blessing and rejoicing and happiness? Or are you mean to the people around you? Are you grumpy in those moments? What is... Because in those moments when we are very tired, our willpower is at its weakest. And what is in our flesh takes over. What was in Jesus' flesh? At that moment when he is at his very weakest, what automatically comes out of him? You know. Forgive them, Father, because they don't have any idea what they're doing. Blessing, blessing, blessing. Save them, help them, do good things to them. Look at who he was. And this is who he calls us to become. People who have his teachings, his way of life, so ingrained into our flesh deep into our minds, that no matter what, it just comes out automatically. Let's pray.
Father in heaven, Lord Jesus Christ, you are the one who knows how to live. You are better than anything else and everyone else. Lord, we love you and we want to see you more and become more like you. God, please help us. We are weak and unable to do this on our own. Please send us your Holy Spirit and give us the will to follow after you. Give us the will and the knowledge to deeply ingrain your teachings into our bodies and our lives, into the habits of our minds. Make us the people that we were made to be. Pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.